Let us pray. So Father, may it indeed be the cry of our hearts that you alone are our heart's desire and that our longing is to worship you and you alone. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. We may be seated. Good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you this morning, and I'm glad you've joined us. And good morning again to everyone watching via the live stream. We're so glad that you've joined us as well. Just as we um, begin, I want to remind and encourage everyone to come out tonight at 6 p.m. for our monthly time of prayer as we pray this month, especially for um, our outreaches during Holy Week and and that the Lord would just use those to touch people with the good news of the gospel. So I'd invite all of you to come out for that. We wrap up right around 7 p.m. by praying Compline together. So it goes from 6 to 7. Childcare is available if you need it for that. And so just want to encourage everyone along those lines. And then also, I mentioned this again at the announcement time, but um, our upcoming Holy Week services and would encourage you to be a part of all of those that you can. And we'll be having at least one Holy Eucharist service every day during Holy Week, except for Good Friday, um, Monday through Saturday. And so look at the schedule. I'm not going to rattle off all of those services right now, but it's on the church website. It's in the newsletter. It's on the fridge sheet. So I'd encourage you to avail yourself of those as we prepare our hearts uh, to walk with our Lord through Passion Week and also um, to Easter. Also realize yesterday that... Um, on the church calendar yesterday was the Feast of the Annunciation, um, observing and celebrating those events where in St. Luke's Gospel where um, Mary visits her cousin Martha and um, all the announcements around Mary being with child and what, what Elizabeth says prophetically regarding that child. And so that was all yesterday, which reminds me that as of yesterday, Christmas is just nine months away. So um, those of you who want to shop early, Go ahead and start, because nine months from yesterday is Christmas. Well, I would invite you to take out your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them and turn to our Old Testament reading from Ezekiel chapter 37. As we begin, I want to give credit to Daniel Block, um, Old Testament scholar whose commentary on Ezekiel I've leaned on pretty heavily for this sermon. I'm not plagiarizing, but I do want to make sure I give credit where credit is due. And we are continuing with our focus and our Old Testament readings for one final Sunday as we've moved through Lent. Our text from Ezekiel chapter 37 this morning, which is arguably the best known passage of scripture from this entire book bearing the prophet Ezekiel's name, um, has so much to teach us. There is so much that we could unpack in these 14 verses and I'm not going to attempt that daunting task this morning. Rather, in keeping with a theme that is similar to those of other Sundays during Lent this year, I want us to take some time to look at Ezekiel, especially his submission and obedience to God, and secondly, to look at the nature of God as depicted in these verses. The nature of our God, the God and Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our God who alone can take that which is dead and fill it with his divine life and presence. Chapter 37 opens with Ezekiel being taken by the Lord in a vision to a non-specified valley. 
Now, while the valley is not specifically identified here in Scripture, it may very well have been a real valley known and recognized by Ezekiel. However, the location is not the primary focus. As in the spirit, the sight, hear that, in the spirit, the sight which confronted Ezekiel in this divine vision, that is what is paramount here. The scene which confronts Ezekiel is one of utter devastation. As Daniel Block notes, the bones are scattered on the surface of the ground. In ancient Israelite culture, that alone would be striking because it points to a lack of proper burial and respect for the human body. And it would have been an affront to a priest of Israel like Ezekiel. Bones scattered on the surface randomly like this were a sign of disrespect. It was something that was often done um, during war as an act of desecration and humiliation over one's conquered enemies. Typically, Jews of this time were buried in tombs that were multi-generational. I know this will sound a little strange, but one of the first papers I ever wrote when I was in seminary in my Old Testament introduction class was on burial practices in tombs in Iron Age Judah. And, um, and I learned a lot about tombs and how they were carved, and, and they were really large carved out stone areas, typically underground, and they had either shelves or alcoves carved into them. And the person, when they died, their body was placed on that, that stone slab. And they were left there. And there were multiple of these in each, each tomb. And then over the centuries, as the tomb became full, they would move the bones that were there now dry and empty to a pit, kind of at the foot of, of these alcoves or these slabs, and start over for the next generation. So when you read in... Um, the accounts of the kings of Judah and Israel that they rested with their fathers, they mean that quite literally because there would be sometimes decades or several centuries of ancestors buried together in those types of tombs. But what Ezekiel sees here really is a spiritual picture of the state of God's people in exile at that time. They are a picture of hopelessness, devoid of any real spiritual life. Again, to quote Daniel Block, the picture is one of death in all its horror, intensity, and finality. And as Ezekiel views the devastation in this vision, God poses a profound question to him in verse 3. Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, in a sense, tosses the figurative ball back to God by replying, Oh, Lord God, you know. Ezekiel is well acquainted with the spiritual state of God's people in captivity. Jump down to verse 11, and it gives us a little more accurate picture. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Yet Ezekiel also recognizes God's power over life and death, both physical and spiritual life and death. And despite all human appearances, Ezekiel also knows that all things are possible with God. This wording brings to mind the account of Sarah in Genesis chapter 18, scripture which Ezekiel would certainly have known. In Genesis 18, 14, we read, Is anything too hard for the Lord? 
At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Is anything too hard for the Lord? As we look at this, we need to remember also that this was still a time in the life of God's Old Testament people when they had not yet fully grasped the concept of the resurrection from the dead. And that's a whole separate topic. Um, and the development of that, that truth was, is something that would take a whole teaching series. But just keep that in mind. And yet Ezekiel knows that in his mighty power, God is capable of bringing dead people and a dead nation back to life. Only you know, Lord. What we see here is both a depiction and a testimony to God's mighty power and a depiction of Ezekiel's trust in his God. What we'll see next here is Ezekiel's obedience in the vision. In verses 4 through 8, we see the first of the two major parts of the action which God commands Ezekiel to take. First, Ezekiel is to prophesy, to preach over the dry, dead bones in this vision. Now, that all sounds nice when we read it, but put yourself in Ezekiel's shoes for a minute. This is an exceedingly unusual command. Something that, if it happened these days, the bishop would get all kinds of emails about. And it might even come before the standing committee. Did you know that he did this? It is incredibly unusual, even a strange command, when evaluated from the natural mind. And again, God commands us and has given us reason to use it. But as we've talked about in weeks past, as we've talked about that, our reason must always be submitted to God. And what we see here is a wonderful picture of both Ezekiel and his words and actions being fully submitted to God. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded. As I was commanded. And what we see God miraculously doing here is reconnecting the bones with flesh and connective tissues. Restoring physical life to that which was dead. Literally what we see going on here is a reversal of the decomposition process taking place in this vision before Ezekiel's eyes. Look at verses 7 through 8 with me. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. Yet things come to a halt. There's a problem. Look at the end of verse 8. But there was no breath in them. Ezekiel's hearers are still dead men. The scattered bones are now corpses, but they are still lifeless. Which brings us to the second part of things. Look at verses 9 through 10. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. Hear the obedience again. I prophesied as he commanded me. 
and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Ezekiel's prophesying in these verses is much more in the form of a prayer. And what happens next in the vision is that the Spirit of God brings to pass a miracle of recreation, an action which God alone, God who is the author of life, can accomplish. And the picture here, I believe, is very much reminiscent of Genesis 2-7 at the creation of humanity where we write, then the Lord, or we read, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. What took place here must have utterly amazed Ezekiel in the vision as what had been dry bones came to life, stood up, and walked around like a great army. An absolutely miraculous effect. Now, most immediately, this prophecy and this vision is about God's Old Testament people who would be brought back to life. And the fact that God would and did regather and bring Old Testament Israel out of exile and back to the land he had given to them. Reminding both them and us that true hope rests in God alone, who is the source of all life and who is the sovereign Lord of history. We need to remember, brothers and sisters, that God is accomplishing his work. He does and he will keep his promises. Did you hear that? God is doing his work despite what we might see around us. And God keeps his promises. He will do what he has said that he will do. Sometimes you'll hear people in some type of a difficult situation make a comment such as, God is still on the throne. And I remember back in my days when we were still in the Assemblies of God and I was ordained in the Assemblies of God, our general superintendent, George Wood at the time, who's now with the Lord, that comment was made. And he, he brought a strong corrective saying, it is inappropriate ever to say God is still on the throne. Because by adding that word still in there, there is the inference or the implication that somehow God can be removed by, from his throne by what goes on on earth. And that is an absolute impossibility. What we need to say is simply God is on the throne because there's nothing that will ever alter or change that eternal reality. The promises of God are not somehow negated or invalidated by how things appear in the natural. And now that doesn't mean that we deny the realities and the hardships and the difficulties around us. That's not what I'm saying. But God is still at work no matter how things appear. Think about, as we're approaching Holy Week, think about Jesus' disciples. Think about the perspective because they got caught up understandably through the trauma that they experienced in viewing things in the natural. Think of their perspective as they saw Jesus arrested, scourged, crucified, as they saw him die. And think about where their thought processes and their thinking must have been on that Saturday between the crucifixion and the resurrection. And yet, yet despite all of this, God's promises were not negated 
They were not invalidated. God was still indeed doing his work. What else is God saying to us in these verses? What does he teach us about himself and about you and me? About All Saints Church? About his people? Well, I think there are a couple things that I'd like to mention that we need to take to heart. First, we need to look at and learn from Ezekiel's example of obedience. Obedience. It's a theme we've heard repeatedly as we've moved through Lent, focusing on our Old Testament readings. And we have seen what obedience looks like when people walk in fidelity to the commands of God. And we've seen what disobedience looks like in some cases too. But we, like Ezekiel, need to walk in obedience and submission to God's commands and instructions to his people. We need to do that just like God's faithful people down through the ages have done it. Obedience, even when it is difficult. Obedience, even in seemingly impossible circumstances. And obedience in a way which affirms our radical and utter dependence upon God for anything that will ever be accomplished for his glory. Not just obedience when it's easy. Not just obedience when it wins us the accolades of people around us. But obedience when God calls us as individuals, when God calls us as a church to hard places and to do hard things and to stand for his truth and the priorities of his kingdom. Things that often will not be easy and things which will not necessarily win us the accolades of the world around us. This wonderful church, way before I was here, has a testimony to that when many years ago now, you walked away from the former church property at Saratoga Lane. And you're to be commended for your obedience in that. And God leading you here to this place, but, but not knowing how it was going to work out. And yes, God blessed it and it worked out. But there were other churches that, that made the same decision for the same right reasons and things didn't work out quite so smoothly. And yet, it was the right thing to do out of obedience to the call of God and fidelity to his truth. And you're to be commended for that. And we should celebrate God's graciousness and blessing through that trial. We must submit ourselves to God's commands. We are only used, hear this, we are only used by God in great ways when we as believers and as a church are submitted to him. Why is that? Well, I think at its core, it's because submission is an act of recognizing that this is God's work, not ours. Did you hear that? We need to get over ourselves. And anything which is truly great, which means it is of God, is accomplished by him. And in the midst of accomplishing that, God in his grace and his mercy uses us as instruments in his hands to do his will. Second, like Ezekiel, God calls you and me to speak his truth, to speak what he commands. 
but words can be cheap. Talk can be really cheap and talk can be hollow. Talk, our speech only becomes life-giving when it is infused with the life of God's spirit flowing from our innermost being. Ezekiel's hearers were still spiritually dead in verse 8. God's delight, excuse me, God's divine life had not been breathed into them. Only God, only God can raise the dead to life. Just as we see with physical life in our gospel reading this morning from St. John's gospel with the account of Lazarus being raised from the dead where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And only God, only God can take people who are spiritually dead, raise them to life, transform them, and make them new creations in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Ezekiel's proclamation here was infused with prayer. Um, I used to do a lot more cooking before I, I moved down here and became rector of All Saints Church. Um, Tammy jokes and says that when she cooks, it's because we have to eat. When I cook, it's because I want to make a project out of everything. Um, but I, I used to like, and I still do like to do grilling, and I, I at times do some extensive projects with that. And um, I have a number of really good cookbooks for grilling and smoking and that sort of thing. Some of them by... Um, a chef named Stephen Reichland, some of you may be familiar with. And, um, but one of his books is just on smoked foods. And he even has a recipe in there for how to infuse ice cubes with smoke for certain types of drinks and that sort of thing. And um, yeah, so those ice cubes through this process actually become thoroughly infused with the flavor and the fragrance of smoke. As I thought about this sermon, I know in a far more profound way than, than ice cubes being infused with smoke, our proclamation of God's truth must be infused with prayer and with the life of God's spirit so that the flavor and the taste and the savor of everything that we say is about God and not about us. And as we infuse we, or we see our lives infused by God through prayer and the presence and the life of his spirit, then, did you hear that? Then God will use us greatly by his grace and mercy because it's not about us. He gets us out of the way and he infuses us with his life and his divine presence. As we approach Holy Week, just a week away, hard to believe, I want to challenge us to reflect on this, this incredible and profound eternal reality, but also reflect upon what it took on God's behalf, what action God took to make all of this possible for you and for me. Don't just jump to Pentecost and being infused with the life and the power of God's spirit. It took Jesus walking through his passion and his suffering and dying a death for our sin, atoning for our sin, 
and they may be raised to life so that we could be filled with the presence and the life of God and be made new creations by God through Jesus and his work on the cross and his resurrection. And then only after those things could all of God's people be infused with the life and the presence and the power of God in a fresh and new way to be about God's work to be those bearers of his divine life and the image and the message of Jesus. That's what it took. That's what it took. May we learn from the example of Ezekiel. And may we learn even as we approach Holy Week from the example of our Lord who is the perfect picture of obedience to the will of the Father what true godly obedience looks like. And to submit ourselves to God and allow ourselves to be postured by God in that kind of a place, then indeed God will fill us with his presence. God will use us to be his mouthpieces, to be his spokespersons. And through us and through this church, to this community and to our world, the life of Jesus will flow forth in a way that transforms and sets people free because God is at work by his grace and mercy using us but accomplishing his work and his goodwill as people are set free, as people are transformed, as people become new creations in Christ, which is something only God himself can do. Let us pray. So Father, as we approach Holy Week, fill our hearts and minds with a sense of awesome reverence for all that you have done on our behalf. Fill our hearts with a renewed sense that you and you alone transform and you alone give life. And as you recreate us in the image of your son, you call us to be bearers of that life out of your grace and your mercy. Out of your grace and your mercy, you use even folks such as us. So Lord, position us as a church. Position every single one of us as a believer to walk in obedience to your commands. To walk in obedience to your will and your call. Even to those hard places. Knowing that your grace is sufficient no matter what things may ever look like in the natural, you are accomplishing your work. You are accomplishing your plan and purposes and you will bring your promises to pass. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.